Hi and welcome to the Next Conference podcast. This week's episode features Andreas Refgaard's talk from the Next Conference 2018. Thanks a lot for having me. My name is Andreas Refsgaard. I'm a creative coder and an interaction designer from Denmark. Um, and I'm going to talk about three different things today. Um, one is inputs and outputs, how I work with inputs and outputs for the creative tasks I do with computers. The next thing is uh, playful machine learning and how that blends together with inputs and outputs. And then the final thing is about how you would potentially get started uh, if you're an interaction designer or an artist, or potentially somebody interested in doing something commercial with playful machine learning. And you have to excuse me a bit, I have a bit of a cold, I've tried to drink tea all day, it didn't work uh, yet. So uh, yeah, I might sneeze at some point. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so I work a lot with inputs and outputs. Um, but what does that actually mean? Um, it means that a lot of the projects I do can be boiled down to something super, super simple. It's an X that you control with a Y. And I'm going to give you an example of that, which is my final project from when I was a student at Copenhagen Institute of Interaction Design. I built this project called iConductor. And it's a project um, that enables people to play music uh, only by using their eyes and their face. Um, and more recently, I've gotten into uh, machine learning, but I still keep this input and output philosophy. Um, and oftentimes when people hear the word machine learning, then they go like this. Um, they think of it as something super, super complicated, some sort of hidden away black box that not, only, that not even the people who build the machine learning algorithms fully understand or can grasp what happens inside them. Uh, and that can be true in a lot of cases. It is a very complicated field. Uh, but since I don't come from computer science, I come from design, I sort of attack this field in a slightly different way. And the stuff I do is fairly simple. Uh, I send raw streams of data to some uh, supervised uh, machine learning algorithm that then tries to distinguish between the things I teach it. And I'm going to give you an example of that, uh, where I try to train an algorithm in one minute to uh, do a fairly simple task. Um, and this is uh, the tools I'm using are all open source. And in the end of the talk, I'll give you uh, some links to uh, where to get them. Um, so, but from an interaction design point of view, uh, then supervised machine learning is an extremely interesting and powerful tool to have in your toolkit. First off, you can prototype without coding too much. And I teach quite a lot uh, at design schools, and some students are really good at coding, some are kind of afraid of it. Uh, but if you want to build prototypes that are truly interactive and where none of the interactions are sort of faked, then it's really, really nice to be able to prototype these interactions by just showing the computer what you mean uh, and then having one input correspond to one output. Um, it also means that you can go through cycles of iteration way faster. Uh, you don't have to spend a lot of time on coding one interaction. You can just try them out, and if it didn't really fit, then move on to something else. Um, also, you can let users train and decide the interactions, and I have an example of that a bit later. And finally, you can use super, super complicated inputs, which would be hard to account for if you were uh, purely coding them. Um, so again, recall my statement about this X that you control with a Y. And I'm going to give you examples, uh, kind of weird and playful examples of controlling things with other different things. Um, 
This first project is a project I did while I, uh, two years ago, I was in Berlin and I took a, claw, a class taught by Jean Kogan and Rebecca Fiebrink. Rebecca Fiebrink is the woman who made Wikinator, uh, the tool I use here. Um, and then I tried to make a system uh, that could detect what facial expression I was using or I was making, and then output some sort of reaction GIF. And I did this because a lot of my friends were sending me emojis and reaction GIFs that were really, really funny and silly, and I didn't really know how to find the right ones, so I thought maybe I could just make the facial expression and it would automatically send them back. And this video kind of shows the whole process also of training it. So first I set up, I track some points in my face and send it to a supervised machine learning algorithm, and then I train a neutral face, a face that's surprised, a face where I'm really excited, a face where I'm kind of sad, and then a face where I'm a bit flirty, I make a kissing mouth. And then I try to test it out. So the neutral one and the surprised one, they seem to work okay. Uh, the excited one as well. Uh, but as soon as I try to make the flirty one, it kind of uh, mixes it up with the neutral one. And maybe it's a Nordic thing, me coming from Denmark, not really knowing how to flirt. Uh, but from a technical point of view, those two are also very similar. The only thing that's the difference is small movement in the mouth. But instead of recoding everything, I simply give it more examples. Uh, I retrain the flirty one. Uh, now here you see it has a bit of issues with the sad one. But again, I just give it more examples of the sad one. And then it will eventually learn. Yeah, here it got it. Um, Another super silly face experiment is this photo booth that will only take a picture if you look like a prune in the face. So if you do something like this, it will take a picture. Otherwise, it, it won't take a picture. Yes. So you end up with beautiful pictures like these. Um, I tried to pitch this to ad agencies. Nobody's bought it yet, so everybody can have it. Uh, first come, first served. Um, but of course... Um, all of it is not just a silly experiments. Sometimes you can do silly experiments where somebody pays you to do it. Um, so me and my former partner, Lasse Korsgaard, um, we got asked by Google Creative Lab in New York if we wanted to help them uh, bring some of these machine learning uh, experiments to the web. And they were working on something called DeepLearn.js, which is now turned into TensorFlow.js. And at the same time, we were working on how to take some of these techniques we were doing on our computers locally and bringing them to the browser. Uh, and Teachable Machine, you can just Google it, and uh, uh, it's a website that allows you to train a machine learning algorithm with your webcam directly in the browser in uh, like a minute or so. And I'm going to show one example of that, uh, which is this guy called Baron, um, and he used Teachable Machine to make Silicon uh, Valley. Uh, how many people have seen that sitcom? One guy, yeah. So some, uh, some people, they, in that sitcom, they have a thing about somebody uh, makes a startup idea, which is an app that can detect whether something is a hot dog or not a hot dog. I haven't seen it myself, so I don't know why they make that, but apparently it's a, it's a joke in that series. Uh, and then Baron uh, spent one minute and did the same, and it looks like this. Not hot dog. Not hot dog. Hot dog. Not hot dog. Hot dog. Yeah, look how happy he is. Um, and I think one of the reasons why he's really happy is that he decided on this interaction. When we made this, uh, this uh, website, we never thought that somebody would use it to train an, a hot dog, not hot dog classifier. But he, as a user, is the one that is able to go to the site 
and train the interactions and be creative himself. And that's one of the uh, a bit overlooked uh, things about machine learning. Um, this project is uh, from a hackathon uh, in South Korea uh, two years ago. Um, I made it in collaboration with American artist Gene Kogan. It's called Doodle Tunes, and it allows people to draw musical instruments, um, show them to a camera, and then it will play back music accordingly. Um, and we've now actually made a, a bit more of a stable version, which will be installed at Heinz Nichtsdorf uh, Museum here in Germany. A funny thing happened then a year later was that Airbnb uh, found some of our code. We've just put everything online and people can use, use it. It's fine. And then they used some of the code to make something very, very different, which was quite interesting. Um, so it's on the right, you see the same code, like this uh, Doodle classification uh, system. And then on the left, they uh, from Doodles or just uh, pen and paper sketches, they actually make web uh, output. And of course, just as mock-up, uh, but still quite interesting. So uh, sometimes artists can uh, be the unpaid R&D of uh, big companies. Um, yeah. Uh, so these machine learning uh, algorithms can of course be used for lots of useful things, but normally I like to stick within the realm of unuseful or silly things. And this is one example. It's an installation called Is It Funky? Uh, and it tries to determine what is funky and what is boring. Uh, and you could say, how is it able to do that? Uh, that is a highly su subjective uh, question. What is funky and what is, it, what is boring? Uh, but machine learning algorithms are increasingly moving into this territory of subjective things. Uh, so I thought, why not? Um, so it works like this. You can input uh, any text and it will look up uh, the thumbnails from Google Image Search. Um, so here, print, and then you can press it, and it will determine whether it's funky or boring. So now I'm going to search for carpets. How many think uh, carpets are funky? Boring? Yeah, boring. So let's see. It'll find some carpets. And then it says that was most boring. Uh, and then your funk no. score will drop. So the more boring stuff you show it, the, the worse the music will get, and the graphics will also become worse and worse. Uh, let's see what else is here. Taxes? Funky or boring? Uh, um, and then it's trained on like 9,000 boring images, highly subjective. So what do we have? A depression, um, unions, farming, floors, gray stuff, lawyers, mud, white men, politicians, so on. Um, and then the funky images are, are very colorful, typically um, has to do with dancing, drugs, graffiti, etc. So it's super, super uh, biased. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, then uh, uh, me and my partner, partner Lasse, we had a company called Stoy. Um, uh, we, we started doing a lot of experiments using sound as an input. Uh, so instead of using video or graphics as input, how about sound? And then we were very interested in, com in combining weird sounds with games. And this was the first experiment we made. Um, yeah, so we thought, okay, there's something there. Let's uh, take it up a notch. Um, what if we play a more advanced game like uh, Wolfenstein? So in Wolfenstein, 
you can go to the sides, you can go forward, you can go backward, you can open doors, and you can even shoot. Um, and then we had to assign one sound for each of these actions, uh, then train it, and then try to play it. So, <laughs> thank you. So maybe uh, having a game that complicated is a bit too much. Um, and then when we got asked by Kick Festival in Belgium if we wanted to do uh, some AI-related installation for kids, uh, because we had made these two prototypes that didn't take all that long, we sort of knew uh, what we wanted to do. And we ended up making this simple game. The final project I'm going to show you is called an algorithm watching a movie trailer. It's also made in collaboration with Lasse. And uh, we used the optic detection algorithm YOLO2, uh, now there's a YOLO3, uh, that's able to detect not only what is in a picture, but also where is it at. So you can sort of see here, we have a person, uh, and the person starts here and ends over there, a person, a person, some books in the background, and then also a cell phone. Uh, and of course the cell phone, that's not correct, but uh, on purpose we lowered the threshold of certainty so it would make some wild guesses. Um, it only has uh, 80 categories, and out of the 80 categories, then a cell phone is not that bad of a guess. Like My cell phone is sort of like a black box, um, and cell phones are at least sometimes... Uh, placed near uh, a person's mouth. Um, and then we thought, okay, if we put ourselves into the sort of like the head or see things from the perspective of this algorithm, what would the world look like if you then watch a movie trailer? Um, and then we chose the trailer for The Wolf of Wall Street and then deleted everything that the algorithm couldn't detect and only kept the parts that it could detect. And that looks like this. Um, then we also made a version where it censors everything it can see and a very abstract version with just the bounding boxes. Um, and then later on we got asked by a Norwegian artist called Daniel Paida to do this um, with all of his personal photos and he was also interested in uh, when it made mistakes. And I think now we live in a time where these algorithms still make mistakes. Who knows, in 20 years, maybe they won't make any mistakes. But I kind of like these mistakes that they make from a poetic uh, point of view. Like, of course, this is not a kite, um, but out of the 80 categories that the YOLO model has, then kite is a pretty good uh, guess. It is certainly somebody attempting to fly. And there's in the data set, there's no uh, category for uh, guy in a cow skin uh, attempting a jump in, in Norway. And also then, yeah, the fact that you can also see the car is kind of insane as well. And, and then a giraffe, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Um, and then I, the last time I was in Germany, <laughs> now we, yeah, we can run some of these things on the web. And then I had some coffee and just tried it out before I had to teach a class and then I thought that my coffee was a toilet. Um, yeah, which I kind of like. But it was a decent coffee, no, no offense. Uh, okay, getting started. Um, I'm doing a workshop tomorrow. I'm teaching a workshop. Maybe some of you will come join. Um, I'm go just quickly going to show you a few tools. Um, Wikinator is the tool I used for quite a few of these uh, um, experiments. It's very, very nice. Uh, has a graphical user interface, so it's cool for getting started right away, and you can connect it with all types of other software. Um, open source, made by Rebecca Fiebrink, who's awesome. And then there's ML4A, uh, machine learning for artists. I contribute a tiny bit to it, but it's mainly the work of Gene Kogan. It has open frameworks uh, stuff and a lot of Python stuff, and it's a bit more advanced. 
Um, but some of them can also be combined with uh, Wikinator. And then finally, there's uh, ML5.js, which will be uh, what I'm teaching in the workshop tomorrow. It's sort of a friendly wrapper around TensorFlow.js, which makes it super, super easy to get started with machine learning on the web. So that was my talk, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Um, wonderful work. I have loads of questions, but you are going to be around because we have two other short talks, and then the three of you will come sit here and we can ask all the questions we have. So thank you very much. Thank you. This was Andreas Refgaard's keynote from the next conference 2018. If you like this episode as much as we did, go to iTunes, rate us with five stars and leave a review. We're happy to hear from you.